there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm Rose Rimler. Wendy Zuckerman will be back soon. But for now, you're stuck with me. And this is Science Verses from Gimlet. This is the show that pits facts against fat. And just a quick note before we begin. This episode is going to talk about weight and weight loss. And if these are sensitive topics for you, please take care while listening. Okay, on with the show. These days, a lot of people are talking about their weight. If you've tried to put on your pre-pandemic jeans, you may find they are a little snug. Doctors are calling it the quarantine 15, and you know what I'm talking about, the pounds that some people are putting on during the pandemic. One survey of a few thousand Americans found that more than 40% said they gained weight they didn't want to gain during the pandemic. I can relate to this. I've gained weight during the pandemic too. And at first I didn't realize it probably because I had switched from work pants to loungewear early on in quarantine. But then I went to the doctor and got weighed, and I was surprised to find out I had gained something like 10 pounds. I plugged my height and my new weight into an online BMI calculator, and it spat out overweight. I had crossed a threshold, and now I was part of a group that includes three out of four Americans. That's how many of us are considered overweight or obese. Gaining the weight kind of kicked off a chain reaction in my brain. I felt bad about myself, guilty, and a little worried. Because we're told that weighing too much, being fat, is incredibly dangerous. That it can skyrocket your risk of tons of diseases and even cut your life short. But when I talked to my friends about all this, they were like, don't worry about it. Ignore the BMI chart because it's bogus. It doesn't mean anything. For one thing, it doesn't separate fat from muscle, and it's super outdated anyway. But is that right? I decided to try to find out. And a quick note about our words in this episode. A lot of people don't like the words overweight or obese. Some people prefer the term fat as a neutral way to describe a person's body, like tall. But not everyone is comfortable with using fat this way. And meanwhile, overweight and obese both have specific definitions in medicine. So we're going to end up using all these terms, but we'll try to be careful about when and why we use them. Okay, so back to the BMI, the body mass index. Every stat you've ever heard about how many Americans are overweight comes from this measure. Hundreds of thousands of studies rely on it. It's a staple of modern medicine. So where on earth did it come from? To find out, we're going to go back to the 1950s to the University of Minnesota's football stadium. The Golden Gophers are battling it out in the Big Ten Conference. And our story starts down in the depths of the stadium. You enter through Gate 27, (laughs) just as if you had a ticket to Gate 27. And then there's a maze of of hallways and offices along them under the sloping roof of the the bleachers uh, above. This is Henry Blackburn. He's taking us to the lab where the BMI was born. He's a professor emeritus at Minnesota. So uh, when you, when we worked there on a Saturday, we could hear a distant rumble when the Minnesota team got a touchdown. We would run out and run up the causeway and, and see if we could 
see the extra point kick. <laughs> Sometimes invaded by vermin because of all the food left in the stands and the corridors. But it was our place. We were very much at home there. And one thing they were doing in this weird lab was trying to answer this big question. How much fat do we have in our bodies? This was important because scientists figured it was the first step in understanding whether fat is bad for us. To get at this, nerds had developed these equations to try to estimate whether people had too much fat based on their height and weight. So you could just plug in someone's measurements into the equation and voila, you'd get a sense of how much fat they were carrying around. But the problem was, these equations hadn't really been tested. No one knew if they were accurate or if one was better than the others. And testing it was hard. How would you do it? You need to get to all that fat in our bodies, the fat that's under the skin and deep inside us. And you have to do it without CT scanners or MRIs because they weren't invented yet. And you have to separate out the stuff that's not fat, like bones and muscles and... I'll bring up the subject of intestinal air. We're talking about farts is what we're talking about, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's a word, a word I'm not allowed to use in my family. My wife despises that word. <laughs> It averages about 50 milliliters on, on average. This is a great piece of trivia, though. F 50 milliliters on average of, of our body is composed that's of right. farts. That's right. That's right. That's that's less than I might have expected. <laughs> depends, on, depends on your diet. <laughs> so without fancy modern equipment and with farts getting in the way, how did these nerds measure fat on people's bodies? First, they recruited hundreds of volunteers. 500 normal, healthy men of Minneapolis and St. Paul have been serving them as human guinea pigs since 1948. There's some footage of this from a TV special back in the 50s. It shows some white guys in suits and ties heading into a lab where they are led into a special room. Now we're down in the densitometer room. And it features Henry's boss. He was kind of a big deal at the time. Ansel Keys. And Dr. Keys is about to explain how they measure the weight of a man. Here, let me show you how we get at this. So the way they'd do it was, they'd have this guy strip down to his underwear, hook him up to a machine that can measure how much air is in his lungs, and then the main event. The guy is in a metal cage above a tub of water. And then they'd pull a lever and you'd go underwater. A lever, really? Like, I'm, I'm imagining a dunk tank at the it, county it's fair. A, it's exactly a dunk tank, except you're, what? you're, you're lowered in it. You don't splash in it. <laughs> you're so it's, a little, it's a gentle dunk tank. Yes. The guy in the footage, whose name is Dick Burlingame, which is the most 50s name ever, he looks surprisingly stone-faced as his head goes lower and lower until he's completely underwater in this cage. He's sitting on a seat that's actually a scale, and once he's underwater completely, he exhales, blowing a big breath out to stop him hovering above the seat. And that's when they record the guy's weight. And the reason they do this is because they want to compare people's weight on land to their weight underwater. And here's why that's important. Say you've got two people who step on the scale and they weigh the same on land, but one is super muscly and the other one has a lot of fat. When you plop them in the dunk tank, the person with all the fat will weigh less because fat is less dense than muscle. So it kind of floats. From that, knowing the density of the usual density of bone, the usual density of muscle, the density of body water, and the density of body fat, you can read off on a chart. Uh, the percent of body, body fat. So with the dunking and with what we already know about how dense different parts of our body are, 
They could estimate how much of a person was fat and how much was other stuff. Now they had the data to finally test those untested equations that we told you about, to see which one was the best at predicting how much body fat people actually have. So the team took all this data of people's fat and their height and weight. They put it on a graph as little dot points. They added other data too, measured in a different way from men around the world. And while the group was mostly white, it did include some men from Japan and Bantu men from South Africa. So all in all, it was about 7,000 men. And they crunched all this data, and then in 1972, published their results. The best equation turned out to be... Weight divided by the height squared. Yep, the equation you know and probably hate. And Ansel Keys dubbed it the body mass index. Why didn't he name it after himself? He could have renamed it the Keys Quotient, for example. Oh. Well, he wasn't Donald Trump. I mean, (laughs) he didn't have to see his name on every building in town. Uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gotten political. We forgive you, Henry. Anyway. From here, the BMI totally blew up. Other groups like the National Institutes of Health and the World Health Organization took the BMI ball and ran with it. They started using it to make the categories that we know today, including overweight and obese. The ramifications of this are huge. When you hear about the obesity epidemic on the news or stats about how unhealthy it is to be fat, chances are that's based on the BMI. But we also hear all kinds of stuff about how the BMI has problems. And what's funny is that even Ansel Keys knew the BMI wasn't perfectly measuring fat. He, he didn't say it was very good, but he said it was at least as good and a little bit better uh, than all the other indices. If you were to give it a grade, like an A to an F, for how well it could estimate body fatness, what grade would you give it? <laughs> a C and the others would get D. <laughs> a C? Not acceptable in this household. And one of the reasons it gets such a middling grade is this. These days, scientists have fancier techniques than dunk machines to measure how much fat people have. High-tech scanners and MRIs. And what they find is surprising. The BMI usually underestimates fat percentage. Yeah, so we might have more body fat than we would expect, given our BMI. And the reason this surprised me is that one of the biggest criticisms you hear of the BMI is that it doesn't account for muscle so it might be putting really muscular people in the wrong category. But it turns out, it's more likely to be doing the opposite. So that's all about how well the BMI predicts our body fat. But how well does it predict our health? If, like me, you got a stamp of overweight or obese from your doctor thanks to the BMI, how worried should you be? Well, it turns out this whole area of science is a minefield. There is so much nuance and controversy here that I ended up spending months diving into the literature and talking to scientists. I'm really excited to talk to you because I have so many questions about this. Okay. Um, I visited a body composition lab. We're looking at like a big kind of industrial scale. This is an industrial scale. We can weigh persons up to 1,000 pounds. And stumbled into a huge science fight. Your stuff is rubbish. It's ludicrous. It's obviously wrong. For some people, it's more like the bogus mass index. It's crude. It is crude. We're asking it to do much more than it's supposed to be. Okay, so not everything is this controversial. Here's what basically everyone agrees on. 
People with high BMIs are more likely to have health problems like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and some kinds of cancer. And they're more likely to have trouble moving around. Plus, people at either end of the BMI spectrum, the extremes of underweight or severely obese, are more likely to die younger compared with people in the middle. But here's where things get muddy. When we look at the less extreme cases, like being overweight, some studies find that you may actually be less likely to die. Yeah, maybe that little bit of cushioning is doing you some good. But then other studies don't find that. So it's kind of a hot mess. On top of that, the BMI categories were made partly based on studies of disease risk in mostly white people, and things could look different if you're not white. Like one study found that, on average, Black women with a high BMI tend to be healthier compared to white and Hispanic people. The thing is, when scientists created these categories of overweight or obese, they were kind of making bright lines around at risk of disease, not at risk, healthy, unhealthy. And the BMI really isn't that good at doing that. Like one of the most confusing things that we see is that some people categorized as obese don't have any health problems at all. For example, one study of 40,000 people found that 30% of those whose BMI said they were obese had perfectly healthy blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol levels, and that kind of thing. Sure, some of those people will go on to develop these problems, but there are plenty of people who stay healthy the whole time scientists are watching them. So what's up with this? Is it really possible to be fat and fit? To find out, you'll want to listen to our full episode. Search for Science Versus in Spotify. That's Science VS. And click on our episode, Wait, Is Fat Unhealthy? See you there. 